Hello and welcome to this episode of Net Zero Nudge, a podcast box set series by Energy Voice in association with EY. I'm Ed Reed, an editor at Energy Voice. Over the course of this series, we've taken a look at various different aspects of how the UK is working to achieve its net zero goals. And today we're going to be looking at insulation and building efficiency. I'm grateful that we're joined today by Francis Warburton, partner EY. Clem Cowton, Director of External Affairs at Octopus Energy, and Matt Hindle, Head of Net Zero and Sustainability at Wales and West Utilities. It feels like a particularly timely point at which to have the discussion, given the ways in which we've seen gas prices rise this year, with, with Ofgem recently bumping up the price cap, and really no signs of better things ahead in 2023. The current gas price crunch has been driven largely by the Russian invasion of Ukraine and, 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 a, and a clear risk premium oversupplies into Europe. That said, gas prices were already on their way up last year. The point when LNG was an economical fuel seems long distant now. Given this price challenge and, and the country's legal commitments to get to net zero in 2050, this may be an opportunity to take more of a step towards reducing domestic demand and, and shifting to lower carbon options. And the country does seem to be more and more in favour of renewable energy opportunities, despite some of the political rhetoric of recent weeks. I think there are, there are clearly technological options that we can bring to bear to shift our demand to alternatives. But I think it's also worth pointing out the decidedly unsexy option of insulation. While putting solar panels on the roof or a heat pump in the shed are a more exciting choice and certainly appealing to my inner energy geek, most houses in the UK would benefit the most and possibly at the lowest price from letting less cold in and less warm out. But Francis, I'm going to start with you. Is there a single answer when considering a best choice for future heating? Yeah, I, I think it's a bit too early to say yet whether we could achieve all of that with a single technology choice. I mean, I think if you take, if you put aside heat networks for a minute and you look at heat pumps and hydrogen, um, I think both have got promising starts. Obviously, heat pumps are being rolled out now at scale, but I think it's too early to say whether we could rely uh, on one or the uh, other of those um, other than heat networks. And the reason for that is some of the work that's been done to date suggests that although you can get hybrid heat pumps as well as pure heat pumps into most homes, um, some of the space considerations, some of the consumer acceptability challenges, there's still an awful lot to do to overcome those. And if we genuinely want consumer choice to sit at the heart of this, I think we need to continue pursuing all options for now. And at some point, we'll have to come up with a, a firm approach on how choices will be made, either at system level or at consumer level. But I don't think we're yet ready to uh, select a single uh, solution to home heating. Clem, you're uh, you're sort of in the the heat pump business. Uh, what, what what are your thoughts? Is is that a, a is that a clear best choice? We are in the heat pump business, but before that, we were in the energy retail business, um, and that's an important point to state because what Octopus has done historically is prove our capability of of dramatically drastically driving down prices of technology and bringing them to you know bringing them to a wider consumer audience so uh we are, our cost to serve of of octopus energy is is less than a quarter of that of of our closest rival and what that means is that uh through technology we have completely shattered expectations of what was possible in terms of um, the cost of a technology in, in, in the energy supply, in the energy retail business. Um, it may not sound like that's hugely relevant to um, a, the kind of more physical technology of, um, of heat pumps. What, what it does mean is that we know how to go back to first principles, take everything apart, put it back together and end up with, an, with a result that is not only cheaper for customers, but 
are overwhelmingly popular. Leading on from that, we have to understand that the uh, costs and the technology options that are on the table today are have been provided by a small-scale industry that has not historically been customer-focused. It has been built around a, a subsidy scheme that was designed to get a very small number of installations of, of the heat pump technology to a very niche uh, demographic of people and a very niche uh type building type what we are doing is rapidly scaling up uh, to the mass market a heat pump technology um, by reducing dramatically reducing the cost and dramatic of both the technology itself both the hardware and of the installation process and making it intuitive and easy for customers to make that shift today now, when you're asking the question about what are the options on the table, I think it's it's worth noting that Energy Systems Catapult has, uh, on behalf of the government, released a report saying that there are no buildings in Britain that are not suitable for a heat pump. That said, it may be that some of the technology options, some of the electrification technology options uh, for some types of buildings come a little bit later than right now. But what we can say is for the vast majority of homes, that technology, the technology that we have at our fingertips today is suitable for the vast majority of homes in Britain and uh, that we can do about 40% of those homes without any real uh, upgrades in terms of insulation or radiator size. Some very, very tiny um, modifications need to be made, very low cost. And that in doing so, we can uh, today install a heat pump for the vast majority of homes at roughly the same cost as a as a existing as a, as a new gas boiler. Uh, that's with the boiler upgrade scheme grant from the government. But within a few years, as we scale, we're going to be able to do that without the grant. Matt, bringing you in for this sort of discussion of best choices, what are your thoughts? And I suppose also, I mean, you know, when we talk about best choice, what do you, what do you think we mean? I think, you know, we talk about uh, price. Is it, is it sort of the avoidance of emissions? Is it, is it security of supply? It's all of the three and it's uh, many more considerations above them. What we are going to need to do as we decarbonise heat is think about what's going to work for consumers, what's going to work for, for individual homes. How do we do that in a way that um, doesn't just allow those most able to pay for new technology, to benefit um, from new technology? But we also need to be thinking about the sort of energy system that we want um, in the future as uh, as well. And about 40% of, uh, of energy demand in, demand in the UK is currently met through gas. Um, to meet net zero, we need to change that. We need to change what's um, met through oil as well. And that means designing an energy system which can um, can do that and can meet security of supply, be as reliable as consumers, uh, whether that's domestic, industrial, uh, or transport expect it to be. And we think that means a multi-vector solution. We think it means uh, electricity. We think it means biomethane. We think it means a big role for hydrogen um, to provide that resilience and to provide that sort of consumer um, optionality. And when it comes down to the technology choice on heat, really, we need to pull every lever um, that we have going. We've got to do 28 over 28 million homes uh, are going to need change of some form, virtually every home in the country. We've got 28 years to meet our 2050 target. So why wouldn't we be pulling every lever trying to get all of the these technologies um, installed now? Yeah, really ramping up heat pumps, really progressing the trials and deployment of uh, of hydrogen, getting hydrogen-ready boilers into homes, supporting hybrid solutions to make a difference uh, in a range of homes now. 
and also developing heat networks too. I think it's worth noting actually that um, while it's understandable that uh, those who have an incumbent interest in maintaining uh, an asset base that is gas-based, and, and I know that, uh, that EY's clients uh, are very interested in the potential of hydrogen as well. There is going to be no role for, for hydrogen in heating because the physics of the situation simply demand that it, that it won't happen. It's inconceivable that we would voluntarily decide to spend resources burning a fuel that is uh, six times less efficient uh, in order to heat our homes when we have. A, it's a fuel that, by the way, is a very long way off um, being available at scale, at least 10 years, if not longer. When we have the solutions today that are always going to be cheaper, no matter how how cleverly you try to attempt the, the accounting, on a kind of on a levelized basis, so if you have a level playing field, uh, a heat pump is dramatically cheaper way, a more efficient, energy efficient way of eating, of heating a home compared with a hydrogen boiler. In fact, it's more efficient to heat a home uh, with hydrogen via electricity, i.e. burn the hydrogen in a, in a power station uh, and then transmit that electricity to the home and, and use that electricity to power a heat pump than it is to burn hydrogen directly inside the home. And, you know, that's before you even start getting into the safety elements of that and the, and the concerns about, about burning such a highly explosive gas within the home. Undoubtedly, we're all coming from our organisation's perspectives as we, uh, as we sit around the table in this, in this podcast and um, looking to um, what we think the, the future might be from that perspective. In terms of scale, we'll have 300 homes in our um, our partners in the Scottish Gas Network um, on hydrogen. Next year, we'll have 2,000 homes uh, on dedicated hydrogen by 2025. And as networks, we'll also be supporting hydrogen blending into the existing gas grid over the next couple of years as well. But I think the the point on the system wide is to look not just at, not just take a narrow look at efficiency, but think about storability. Think about what we're going to need in terms of seasonality, and that's where hydrogen for heat plays a plays a particularly big role on the system level. But also, of course, on a consumer journey, the the prospect of hydrogen ready boilers meaning virtually zero change for uh, the consumer in terms of the way they use their heat, in terms of the system they have in the home. And divorcing um, the, the transition so that while we should still be doing energy efficiency and absolutely prioritising that at the moment, um, we don't have it as a dependency in the way that uh, much of our existing housing stock uh, would now. This is really a, a fascinating debate. And just to be clear, we work across the whole gamut of solutions. So we don't have an organisational preference for any of these uh, solutions. I would say a couple of things. First of all, you know, I completely agree on the cost side. Currently, the evidence to date does suggest that the cost effectiveness of a very high electrification of heat scenario looks promising. So I think the trajectory that Clem's mapped out does look very encouraging and the, the costs coming down and the, the building of the supply chain. So I think if we're focusing on the cost element, I think that looks pretty strong on the, on the electrification side. I guess it comes back to why and how consumers will choose their future heating solutions. And absolutely, cost will arguably be probably the most important factor. So that's hugely important. However, there is a couple of other things, and it kind of I think there's some parallels here with the smart meter rollout, where I'm sure we can all remember back in the, you know, 2015 or so, we were all hoping for 100% smart meter rollout by 2020. We're now going to be lucky to get 80% by 2025. But I think the issue is if you move away from it from price and cost effectiveness, 
I think it is thinking about how it's going to impact consumers in their own homes. So from a personal perspective, I got a heat pump last year. And, uh, you know, I think one of the reasons I got one was I was really interested in the fact that, you know, heat pumps in future can become a lot more flexible, the same ways we're expecting EVs in future for a lot of people to use them in a flexible way, charge them when the system has got excess power and perhaps recharge them back onto the system when we're low on power. Uh, So the bundling together of a heat pump with uh, flexibility is one of the things we're really hoping to do to drive a more uh, efficient and smart system. So I would tell you to go ahead, get the heat pump and see whether or not the technology was as good as some people were saying it was. And I would say uh, on the positive side, operating really well, highly effective in terms of heat production. Um, kit and the technology seems to be, you know, uh, working very well. I think the big thing that was uh, struck me was the size of the uh, the actual equipment itself. So I was prepared for the outside unit, of course, you knew how big that was going to be. But there's also an awful lot of kit you need in your home uh, to run the heat pump, the heat exchanger, the pressure valves, etc. So from my perspective, um, I did have some places that could be tucked away. But a number of people who have come to see it have commented on they just wouldn't have the space. So I think One of the big challenges going forward on heat pump innovation is how do we tackle um, making the the kind of mechanics of the system much more efficient and and less intrusive inside people's homes. So I think there's still an awful lot of work to do on that front. Um, But yeah, overall, I think for maybe 70, 80% of consumers, uh, it's probably going to be a really good technology. The key question is, is that last 20, 30%, are we going to get enough innovation uh, to get heat pumps working in every single home? And the work that Energy Systems Catapult's done to date suggests it can work if a significant proportion get a hybrid heat pump. So that's not a 100% heat pump, it's a heat pump working alongside a traditional gas boiler. So still a number of big questions to answer on the heat pump front. I always find it quite entertaining when uh, people who, you know, organizations who don't serve um, consumers and don't speak to households every day talk about the consumer journey i think it's it's it fair to say that octopus has revolutionized the con- consumer journey across multiple vectors and multiple technologies already and that we have we are already doing so with heat pumps so i'm sorry francis that you, that perhaps that your uh, your early heat pump experience was reflective of the old world rather than the new world and that's exactly the the the, the challenge that we're in the market to solve but we are now taking that that process about a bit like Formula One pit stop. We are taking that process apart, putting it back together and again in a way that is going to be vastly uh, more um, convenient and indeed uh, reflective, essentially, of the kind of combi boiler installation process that you see today. I think it's also really interesting hearing uh, you know industry experts talking about consumer journey in terms of what uh, customers are going to want what customers are used to using and enjoy using I think it was to attitudes like that I, th- I believe that uh, that meant that when Nokia um, first considered creating a touchscreen phone um, they did a bunch of research and determined that actually uh, customers preferred buttons and, um, and shelved plans to, to, to launch a smartphone. And then a few years later, Apple came along, launched the iPhone. Experts in air quotes uh, at the time all thought that was hilarious. Why on earth would you want, uh, you know, a thousand dollar 
uh, kit piece of kit in your in your pocket that that when all you really needed was to make phone calls and send text messages and you had a perfectly good camera uh, at home and a perfectly good uh, modem with a dial-up internet connection and and what we've seen actually is that 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 technology has become not only ubiquitous across all demographics including you know some people who are often um, touted as an excuse not to not to roll out technology you know for example the elderly but it has also become cheap and and through scale costs have come down so we now have $40 androids we have uh, smartphone technology ubiquitous across the world we also have it disrupting industries that otherwise might not have been expected for example the, the global taxi trade which has been you know com- totally disrupted by 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 digital technologies like Uber. And and all of that happened organically as a result of consumer-driven, consumer-focused businesses. I think that if, for example, Ofgem had been in charge of consumer interests in this in the smartphone world, we'd have still been sitting here talking about whether people would really be prepared to pay $1,000 for an iPhone when they had a perfectly good dial-up modem in, in their homes. And, and I think we need to remember that we can take the same approach with heat pumps. And for example, this, you know, the same experience that we've seen with electric vehicles. It was not very long ago where everyone was telling everyone else with absolute certainty that um, electric vehicles were all very well and good, but they couldn't drive uh, very long distances. And that people weren't just, just weren't used to it, weren't used to the experience, so would never really get used to it. And so we should just stick with hybrid vehicles. And we're at a point now where the market share of hybrid hybrid vehicles is absolutely plummeting because people absolutely love electric vehicles. And it's the same with heat pumps. When people get a heat pump, they absolutely love it because it gives you a better experience. You're, you're heating your home lower and slower, which means that it feels warm and snug all the time rather than the kind of too hot, too cold, burn your fingers on the radiator, have drafty pit spaces in your house. Uh, th- that you have with a with a gas boiler, and I think that's what we're expecting to roll out for customers and make sure that that consumer experience is absolutely top. Sure, I think this is probably a good point to pause. I think we've you know had a lot of discussion about heat pumps. We'll 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 have a quick pause and then we'll be back after this short message. In the midst of an industry undergoing fundamental change, EY teams offer deep sector knowledge, highly integrated solutions, and a global EY network to help you reshape your business for the future. This time for disruption is also a time of opportunity for organisations to get ahead of change. Decarbonisation, digitalisation, cost pressures and geopolitical uncertainty are just some of the forces transforming the energy and resources industry. EY Energy and Resources teams can help you focus on the structure, services, technologies and capabilities needed to create long-term value and bring you towards the future of energy. Together, we can unlock the opportunities of an uncertain future and build a better working world. Fantastic. So we've we've had uh, obviously we're kind of, we're kind of going into winter now, and 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 the, and the mind is 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 turning to those kind of December and uh, January evenings. But I think it's it's not too long ago since we had a sort of a forty degree heat, and I, I managed to survive by tinfoiling my windows, uh, much to my wife and my uh, neighbour's disgust. But I I wonder, you know, is this is this a sort of a sign of of things to come, and and are there are there are there steps that we could take? Um, do I have to buy more 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 tinfoil, Francis? What are your thoughts? 
Yeah, no, really good question, especially if we're trying to future-proof buildings into the 2050s and beyond, where uh, temperatures are certainly going to be rising further. Um, I mean, I think there's three things here. First of all, energy efficiency helps. So energy efficiency helps to keep heat in in the winter and also keep homes cooler in the summer. So all the activity we're going to do to bring make homes more energy efficient to facilitate decarbonizing heating will help reduce the demand for air conditioning. Having said that, there'll certainly be homes that will still um, want to have air conditioning or require air conditioning in the future. And broadly, there's two options. You treat cooling separately, and that's what we've seen largely happening in the UK to date, where people are buying standalone air conditioning units, either for individual rooms or individual floors, and they're adding them on uh, to the fabric of the home. The other alternative is to have a combined heat and cooling system. And the technology that comes uh, to mind here is uh, air-to-air heat pumps. So currently we have air-to-water heat pumps uh, and, and some ground source, but largely extracting heat from the air, converting that into hot water for the home. If you go air-to-air, you're extracting heat or cooling from the air and transmitting that into cool or warm air within the home. The key question then becomes, how do you get that warmer cold air around the home? If you want an even Uh, heating or cooling experience, you need vents in every rooms or in most of the rooms, that becomes more difficult on a retrofit basis. However, for flats or for new build where you can install the ducting required to move the hot and cold water around the house, it's an easier solution. So I'm certainly uh, expecting to see more interest in air-to-air technologies uh, going forward, particularly in those market segments. But it'd be great great to hear what um, Clem and Matt also think on that topic. Matt, let's get your thoughts. Well, as Francis has, has said, it's an, as the climate changes, as um, our summers get hotter, you'll expect this to become a bigger topic. And just like with the, the heating question, um, Francis's answer shows how it's a lot easier if you're thinking, if you're able to design things from scratch, if you are if you have new build, if you're um, able to design these, these systems in. And uh, a lot of the challenges around retrofit, it demonstrates how we need to be thinking um, very holistically about the building fabric that we have, the energy system that we have, the options for um, for individual homes. But undoubtedly, it's going to be a bigger challenge as, uh, as climate changes and uh, and our summers get hotter or we get more extremes of, of heat in summer. Clem, it's, it sounds like I, I should uh, buy tinfoil, at, at least for the near future. But uh, any, 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 any insights you can share? I mean, I also, not only tinfoil, but actual uh, reflective insulation I put on the windows of my house um, over the heat wave. I, I live in London and <laughs> uh, it was quite something. Uh, yes, and I, 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 insulation will help to, with that to an extent. There's also some mitigation that can be done that's specific to cooling um, that has less of an impact on on heating. So, for example, um, the biggest problems are in cities where you get you create these sort of urban heat islands because of the extent of absorbent surfaces like concrete, which which pull in heat um, during the during the day and and pump it out again in, in in the evening. So, the answers to that are not necessarily just about thinking about the home. They are things like planting trees, uh, having uh, sustainable drainage systems in place so that you've got fewer tarmac areas. They are things like putting external shutters on buildings um, and also really crucially having fewer vehicles in cities so not just thinking about shifting around over to electric vehicles but also thinking about shifting to micro mobility more walking and cycling so that we don't have quite so many vehicles pumping out heat on on the roads in in our towns and cities uh but that said um some of our customers uh did post photos of themselves um 
sunbathing next to their heat pump during the heat wave because of course a heat pump uh, kicks out uh, cold air while it's heating your water and there was a certain amount of uh, innovation competition some DIY about trying to duct that back up into people's windows so they could take they could have a kind of rigged air conditioning system but I think I agree on the whole I agree because we have um, largely wet heating systems in the UK while obviously uh, in you know smaller buildings for example flats and and, and very small cottages or uh, in new builds um, air to air makes an enormous amount of sense because of that extra cooling ability uh, in terms of the existing housing stock it's it's sort of almost laughably easy to switch over a uh, a boiler to a heat pump today because they are they are so compatible so there's i think there's no need to add layers of complexity unnecessarily <laughs> Sure, sure, sure. Um, so, I mean, I think you know, talking about this sort of this this kind of rollout to a sort of a new generation of of, of, of heating, which you know, I think is is kind of really the name of the game. And obviously, we can have sort of uh, different opinions about uh, about whether that's uh, you know whether they, any of those uh, those those three options that Francis set out at the beginning. But it, it, it seems that there's a kind of a, there's a there's a kind of there seems like a, a need for for collaboration. But at the same time, obviously, you know, with companies competing against each other, this seems to kind of go against much of the uh, of, of the nature of, of how companies work so so matt I'm, I'm interested in getting your thoughts how how can we drive change at the speed that we need to obviously you know i mean you know there's a kind of a question about you know whether the, the right choices are available but you know driving the, the driving that sort of speed of change um uh, through collaboration through companies that may not be naturally willing to uh, cooperate and if it's not too uh, banal an answer, we're going to need both collaboration and competition. Um, collaboration to um, deliver the sort of scale of projects, the pace um, of projects that's required, and competition to bring down prices, to develop novel technology, do things we probably can't even imagine with um, with home energy, heating, and, and services at the moment. But to give an give an example of how that's uh, working now, how we're seeing kind of collaboration in in action, we're working with uh, with Northern Gas Networks on the delivery of the the red car hydrogen community, which is proposing to take um, about two thousand customers in red car onto uh, onto hydrogen, um, or indeed onto uh, an electrified solution um, by twenty twenty five, and that's a collaboration between the hydrogen producers, the gas network, and also um, energy suppliers in order to um, support customers through that journey, develop the end-to-end -end system to produce, store, supply the hydrogen into homes, support the customers transitioning their own system. So that's a real um, real project that's happening now. We've got teams on the ground engaging with the customers um, in that area to um, bring them on that journey, understand what their preferences, what their, um, what their needs will be. And yes, it's about proving a sort of technology solution and demonstrating that end-to-end -end hydrogen system. But it's also very much about um, the customer, the customer engagement um, and what they will want from their, from their system. And that's where that collaboration um, is, uh, is particularly important um, as we help people understand more about the energy they use, um, their heating, the options that they're going to have in the future. Francis, obviously, the you know companies are, are are sort of you know by their very nature competing with each other. Uh, but I, I suppose at the same time, we, we we need a degree of collaboration. 
how can we get these two sort of seemingly irreconcilable problems to uh, to, to to kind of work out? Is 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 it is it a question of kind of government uh, government enforced uh, cooperation? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, and probably almost the biggest one of the biggest challenges we're facing right now is that I think the competition side's working really well. So I think everybody is whether it's heat networks, uh, your heat pumps. Uh, uh, hydrogen, biogas. I think every uh, and you know the, the, all of those technologies are being uh, pushed forward with a high degree of uh, enthusiasm and commitment. But I think so. The com- competition side, I think, is working really well. I don't think there has been as much collaboration. There has been some uh, some projects where you brought different technologies together. But I think the two areas that um, more collaboration is needed is around customer engagement and the customer experience and the question of customer choice. Uh, in these technologies. And secondly, the hybrid technologies. Are there some more opportunities to develop hybrid technology so it's not all one or the other? Now, the question is, how do you actually get that collaboration? And I think Ofgem um, has been working hard to try and put obligations on particularly network companies to collaborate better. But I think as the old saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. So I think um, hopefully what we'll start to see is a genuine recognition that the best outcomes for getting to 100% uh, decarbonized heat is going to require a degree of collaboration. Um, and we need to see more of those, those interests start to align to deliver that. Clem, you've voiced some, uh, should we say, concerns about Ofgem uh, uh, earlier. What, 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 do you think, uh, the, what do you think Ofgem can do to help sort of drive this, this new way of working, I suppose? I'd say the energy system as a whole has been enormously collaborative um, over the last few decades and look where it's got us. Uh, it sounds Collaboration always sounds like a sort of apple pie concept until you really dig into it. And firstly, I mean, where it sits, but also who pays for it. When we talk about projects, they are generally funded through customer bills and they can be astonishingly expensive. They often uh, collaborate endlessly on the same thing. So we get, for example, um, different... Uh, DNOs endlessly sort of testing out consumer propositions when they are not in fact uh, consumer businesses and and don't know how to then take those propositions to market. Um, And we also get opportunity costs from businesses who might want to launch a product in in that space and find that they're swamped out by by sort of government programs or or innovation budgets. So I think we just need to be really, really careful about where it sits. I I think um, just the bias should always be, can we create an environment in which a private capital can can compete to bring a solution to market. There are some places, particularly in such a regulated sector, where that is simply not possible. And that's particularly in the networks um, where competition is, is more or less non-existent. And at that stage, it is, of course, incredibly important that, uh, for example, um, regional monopolies are collaborating in the sense that they are making the data that they have uh, open and available to the private companies that will be that you know that want to then compete with it but that needs to be you know that's a sort of ex- exceptional circumstance um it's also of course really important that companies collaborate with government to determine the best uh, way forward for policy um and and that that doesn't get in the way of competition but it actually enhances the competitive landscape by helping government to understand what the incentives should be and where, where they they best sit i think in general 
uh, you get the best outcomes for customers by having companies competing like crazy to win market share and and build the best products and get the best services out. And here's a, here's a good example. Um, a, a journalist yesterday on Twitter was complaining about the fact that uh, they've been trying to talk to HMRC for, for six years, endlessly having £900 uh, removed and put back and removed and put back that they supposedly owe and then don't owe and that they can't get they've spent hours there live you know can't get through on the phone and actually what that what that describes as the sort of collaborative approach that you might see if we for example had a more monopolistic energy environment uh, you end up with incredibly sludgy bureaucratic processes that do not in fact benefit consumers now there are places where that's necessary for example HMRC where it would not be appropriate to have that competitive environment but anywhere it's possible for that to sit for example in energy for example in heat it, you know, we need to be harnessing that that consumer, the consumerization and, and and the competition to get those products out as fast as possible. And, and just as a sort of a final question, I mean, I think you know, clearly we're sort of looking at a point where you know, Ofgems has put price caps up. You know, we're, we're we're looking at you know, sort of higher prices ahead in in winter. And it's sometimes, I mean, I think you know, we we sort of talk about twenty fifty sometimes, and you know, sort of decarbonisation and some of those those challenges. And obviously, there is a sort of a very kind of a current uh, real problem that a lot of people f- are facing. And you know, when you, you know, we've sort of talked about this, you know, kind of that kind of consumer challenge that we, you know earlier. So I mean, I just you know from from, from, in terms of that sort of near term challenge, I mean, Clem, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to start with you. What 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 should government be doing? What should uh, what should what should companies be doing? What what can we do to sort of tackle this 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 near term challenge? I mean, in the in the very near term, we need to be uh, having conversations about uh, direct support on bills. You know, that's the that's the most important priority of the day. There is there is no solution. Uh, no structural solution that can fix uh, energy prices this winter. It is simply going to be a case of uh, of government support, and it's going to be a case of universal gov- government support. And so, in terms of sort of when you think, uh, I suppose these some of these technologies that we've been talking about might sort of start to make a difference on on bills. I mean, is it you know twenty twenty three? I mean, obviously the gas market is still looking pretty tight for twenty twenty three, as far as I can see. Are things going to start looking better next year? I mean, obviously, I'm you know kind of asking you to make a prediction, which which I think you know people in general sort of try and steer away from. But have you have you got any thoughts about when this sort of net zero, this decarbonisation drive, makes lots of payoff? I mean, it, it it already is to an extent. We are already seeing prices today are not as high as they would have been um, due to uh, the payback of renewable energy technology. Now, there is structural change, further structural change needed to make sure that. That prices aren't always set by the the cost of gas, which is in in reality is while it is going to be, we shouldn't see the kind of the same you know crisis levels of pricing that we're seeing today is always going fundamentally going to be an ex- an expensive commodity and and indeed was before before this particular crisis. The dividends we're also seeing today is that today it is cheaper to run a heat pump um in general versus uh, a gas boiler. So if you install um, a heat pump in your home today, you are likely to be paying lower heating bills 
compared you know compared with your 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 gas boiler um and that is likely to continue in particular as government is looking to rebalance uh, some of the taxes and policy costs that are put onto electricity bills and move them either into taxation or or, or locate them um, more appropriately onto onto gas bills and so we have uh the opportunity to drive um technologies that are fundamentally more efficient through price signals and through uh, government policy uh, in order to start alleviating that de- that gas dependency, which is, of course, driving our, the gas crisis. Now, there are ways that we can make that faster. I mentioned um, decoupling uh, electricity, de- de- decoupling the, um, the, the, the price of, of gas generation from renewable generation in the electricity market. That will help to insulate us from some of those um, costs. Uh, but there are things that we can... That we're that are already happening today. I mean, installation. I think you you've you've raised previously is an important part of that for perhaps next winter. Um, but it's important to also understand that insulation generally reduces energy costs for a household by about twenty percent. So it's not life changing. Every little helps. But there are smaller um, measures that can have big impacts. For example. Um, using making sure that you're closing your curtains at night uh, making sure you have curtains in the first place that, that are much lower cost and can be affected very quickly and also in the longer term making sure that you are not effectively sort of burning 10 pound notes by having uh, a gas boiler or even worse a hydrogen boiler in future will help to insulate you against those costs as we go forward matt what are, you, what are your thoughts on this sort of the the, the, the near-term uh, future what, what, what do you think we're looking at well, we're looking at a really hard winter and the there's there's no getting away from that it's going to affect every uh, individual in the country it's going to affect businesses um and we are going to need a um a scale of response to that that um is probably unprecedented just looking at um one of the areas we serve um bristol city council have announced they were creating 26 um warm banks this winter, so warm places that um, that people can can go to if they're in need, and you know that scale of impact of of energy cost is just something that um, you know most of us can't can't remember and and relate to in our lifetime. So we can't underestimate the um, the scale of that near term. So we're going to have to find sort of big scale solutions to that to, to to get people through. But we also, of course, can't take our our eyes off the long term in in doing that as well and delivering the transition as we've said throughout this podcast whatever your view um on the the technology mix means moving quickly um because we've got 28 million homes in in 28 years to reach um reach 2050 we've got to pull every lever to um to to do that technology is going to evolve we can't always predict exactly how it's going to evolve um so we're going to need to create some space to to make mistakes and that's not always comfortable in um, a kind of regulatory space or when we're thinking about the the consumer protections that um, that need to be in place but fundamentally I think we need a diverse energy system we need a range of um, of net zero solutions that's going to include um, hydrogen it's going to include heat pumps it's going to include heat networks the the only question is um, what proportions of of each? Uh, and that will only play out as we as we deliver. So we need to get on and start delivering. 
Francis, what steps do you think we should take? What, what, what is, there, is there something that government should particularly be focusing on? Yeah, so I think the the, the sort of near term uh, crisis that we're facing now, particularly with you know uh, bills rocketing up and affordability, etc. I think it kind of pushes in two directions. On one hand, it's creating a huge incentive for energy efficiency measures, whether it be temporary ones or changing building fabric more permanently. And it's important to remember that all of the heat decarbonization technologies need energy efficiency to make them more economical. So whether you're putting in a heat pump or a heat network or planning a hydrogen network, all of those will be lower cost if homes are more energy efficient. So some of the short-term uh, reactions we're seeing, and hopefully we'll see this taken forward in uh, government announcements to come. The the drive we're going to see with the high cost of uh, heat and, and power will hopefully uh, bring about some of that facilitating energy efficiency, which we need anyhow. But I think pushing in the other direction, um, that obviously affordability is going to make consumers' decisions to invest now in decarbonizing their homes harder. Um, so unless we start to see more offers coming through in terms of green mortgages uh, from uh, mortgage providers to actually help consumers with the affordability challenge in the short term of going further than just energy efficiency um, and, and taking action now, um, I think it's going to be a, a challenging period. Right. Well, that seems like a, like a good point to 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 end on. I think you know, there is uh, clearly there is a there is a near term uh, driver, and there are some of these longer term uh, goals on there. And it would be great to see uh, these two meshing. And it does seem like there's an opportunity for that. And I think it's it's kind of clearly concentrating some uh, some some thinking in government. So let's hope that uh, that bears fruit. So thank you so much, uh, Francis, Clem, and Matt, uh, and and to our audience. Please let us know what you think to some of the ideas we've raised. You can email us at outloud at energy voice.com if you'd like to be part of the conversation and share your story with the energy industry you can email outloud at energyvoice.com too you may already know that every week the energy voice team get together to highlight important stories from the world of energy in our regular podcast episodes so if you're not already please do follow energy voice out loud in apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to get this free essential briefing every friday this is the third of the five-part Net Zero Nudge. Uh, next up, we're going to be talking about electric vehicles. So please keep an ear out for that. To for today, I've been Ed Reed. Thank you for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com Sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Outloud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Outloud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.